Um, just again, uh, on the back of what Amy shared about kind of what happens here on a, on a Sunday morning. So we're really, we're journeying through and, and continue to have conversations at a leadership level about this whole idea of, of the church being a house of prayer uh, and what that means. And, uh, and I, I still feel like there's revelation that's coming out of that. Uh, but one of the things is that um, even what we do in the prayer room during the week, um, what, what I, I don't believe that Jesus is calling us to be a room of prayer. Um, or to say, oh, what a house of prayer. Oh, that means you just have kind of prayer sets during the week. Like those prayer room sets are a time of, of encounter and equipping and blessing the Lord and achieving great things spiritually in the region. Um, but they are also, it's like a, a training and equipping ground to learn what it is to encounter the presence of God and to live in that reality all the time. Uh, so again, you might find yourself, well, I'm not, I'm not really an intercessor. I'm not really kind of, I'm just not really into prayer and all that sort of stuff, but good, good for them. Um, you, you're kind of missing a point that actually you might not feel that way, but you are that way because you belong to the house of God and that house is a house of prayer, which doesn't mean like, oh, this is a house of prayer. So we come to this building that's kind of shaped like a house and we pray in it. No, it means that we are like a people of prayer. Uh, people that love to worship God and pray to Him and hear from Him in that kind of way. But it means then what we do when we gather on a Sunday, it's just more of that continuation of that time. So we're, we're not just coming in to go, oh, cool, oh, yeah, I like this song, woo, get and I dance and have us sing and do that sort of stuff. And then, cool, all right, the kids are going out, woo, and then there's message time, and oh, that was, and then I have, can have some coffee and chat with some people. That was a great morning. Um, what we, our mentality coming in is that God has an assignment. He has an agenda when we gather. He wants to speak, he wants us to hear, and he wants us to enact those things. Not always, like part of it is just blessing on God because he deserves our worship and just loving on him. That's a huge big part of it. Um, but really that he's, he's got something that he wants to accomplish. And that is what, so the church, the Greek word ecclesia, is taken from a Roman understanding of a spirit of the governing body. The ecclesia was a governing body. So we understand when Jesus calls, when he talks about the church, he's talking about the spiritual governing body of a particular region. So that's us as a community. We are the spiritual governing body of this region. So what happens spiritually in this region, we have a responsibility for. So what we say yes to and what we say no to determines what happens spiritually in whatever realm of authority God has given to us. So when we, it was a couple of years ago, um, I've, I've shared the story, but uh, Ryan Lestrange was here, spoke at a conference, dropped him and his wife off at the airport, driving back home, and God said to me, I've just given you a, you need to take on a regional mandate. So there's been two times where I felt God like really clearly kind of speak to me, almost, it's like audibly, but not audibly, but enough, like it's so clear that you're just like, okay, wow, that was that was God. Uh, and that was when, again, as I shared, you know, the church then kind of expanded and um, all of these Mandra folk, you know, um, came up. And so, but it's, it's literally God said, you need to take on this mandate. And then literally the next week and for a couple of months, just all of these people swarmed up and, um, and the church doubled in size without us doing anything differently. But it's like as a sign, so this is what it looks like. And, and so taking, so again, it's like we've got people that live around Baldavis in Quinana in the northern suburbs, right down to Mandra and past that. So then it's, so what this, the, our church now has become this regional place. So we, we meet here, there's this um, amazing land and, and property and, and what God will do here, but we're not just, we're not in this building. Like this isn't Paradox Church. You haven't come 
to Paradox Church. You don't attend Paradox Church. I hate to break it to you. You are Paradox Church. Well, you're God's church. And we just put that name on so you can identify who are your immediate brothers and sisters, but you're part of the, the global church that exists. But understanding is like, but if I'm, so if I'm part of this spiritual family and God has mandated this spiritual family with a regional authority, then wherever I am, I'm part of taking that on. So kind of like we wouldn't have, almost like we wouldn't have had uh, that regional mandate, regional authority if there hadn't been people from the region who are connected in. Because now if you live in Mandurah, you're carrying that spiritual authority from God that is on this community and you're appropriating it where you are, where you live, in your home, in your family, in your workplace, in your, in your school, university, wherever you might be. But just to understand, that's kind of what God's intention is for his bride. Yeah, we're not just trying to get people out of hell and so they can, if they, we just need to get them here so they can hear about Jesus and they can pray a prayer and then one day they'll go to heaven, saving people from hell. We're, we're, we're called to bring heaven to earth. That is the Lord's prayer. That's his desire is to bring heaven to earth. And it comes through his church who is to exercise that spiritual authority. Amen? Not, not particularly in the sermon, but freebies. <clears throat> So I, I have been under pretty intense spiritual attack for the, about the last 36 hours. I'm starting to recognize it more now. <clears throat> um, interestingly as well, the way the Lord is trying to disrupt even communication um, with uh, our connection with the HeartRev crew on the East Coast. So I, had, I got, a, got a call from someone. Uh, so Tim and Deb Ferris. Oh, no, not the Lord. The other one. Who's the other guy? Satan. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <clears throat> Not the Lord. <sighs> yes. <laughs> I get them mixed up sometimes. So glad you're here to help me. <clears throat> oh. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, you, Tim and Deb Ferris, who came for the, um, our conference that we ran. Um, but I get a call from him the other day, and he's like, oh, how you doing? And um, they've got a, a calling together leaders of churches who are kind of on this heart journey kind of paradigm. And uh, getting together in March, and, uh, and we knew about it, but we hadn't kind of heard any, much more about it. But he rings, he's like, oh, just, are you guys still like, keen to, to be part of that? I'm like, yeah, totally, like, we're there. He's like, oh, okay, it's just that we've like, been sending out all these comms and haven't kind of heard anything back from you. And I'm like, I haven't received anything at all, like, from anyone about it. And uh, so, okay, that's weird. And so, and then, so the next day, I think it was on Friday, I called, uh, so Maria Mason, Phil and Maria, and, uh, and talked to her, she's like, yeah, she's like, it's really weird. Like, we just assumed that you guys were, like, super busy and not replying to any of our emails and all that sort of stuff. I was like, I haven't received anything. That's so weird. And I was like, but I'm like, oh, but hopefully you would, if you felt like I'm being rude and not responding, like, you'd, like, let me know. She's like, well, I did. I sent you a text. And uh, I'm like, I have not received any text messages from you. And I'm like, this is so weird. So I'm like, can you check the number? I'll check it. I'm blocked. And I was like, oh, I don't even have, like, I called her on Messenger thing because I didn't have her actual mobile number, and then she texts me, text comes through, fine. So weird. Um, again, talk to the, the assistant who was sending out the emails, text back and forth there, now it's working fine. Sends an email that night, all the details, everything's fine. So I'm like, I said, it's like this Leviathan spirit, you know, who twists and contorts communication, all that sort of stuff. The spirit of was like, it's gone digital. So... <laughs> 
But it's kind of that sort of weird stuff. Like I'm not, I'm not like a super, you know, kind of, you know, in the, in the weird, kind of going to the depths of the weird spiritual things, but you start to see it kind of happening. And as soon as that conversation was restored, bang, I started just struggling in my health, um, woke up Saturday morning, just completely wiped out, just completely drained. I could feel like I couldn't lift my arms up out of bed. Headache, um, anxiety, all this sort of stuff. So I think feeling fine now. But, you know, but kind of going like, okay, this is a bit, this is a bit weird. And I didn't put, on, put together, because I'm speaking about the spirit of religion this morning. I'm like, well, that probably also wouldn't help. Um, that you know, confronting this thing. Um, so, so that's where I'm at, but, um, but believing we're just going just gonna to kick this thing's butt and uh, it's not going to have any victory here. So, um, yeah. So I want to talk to you about this whole, this concept of a spirit of religion. Uh, and now again, um, just to clarify some language, I think sometimes we talk about, we can talk about a religious spirit and we can direct that to a person. Um, but I, I do think there are, there, there's two elements here. I think there are, is a religious spirit, so a demonic entity or demonic entities that, um, that operate in this way of how religion operates. Um, but I also believe that people can have a religious, like a heart paradigm, a heart framework, a, a way of responding uh, that they have learnt that is internal um, of how they relate to the world in kind of a religious way. So the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they would have had a religious heart paradigm. They would have been brought up in this kind of religious context of how they understood how to relate to the world. But there is also then demonic entities that partner with that, um, that bring about the plans of the enemy. So we've had um, seasons kind of in the last few years of... Uh, really, probably since we took on this regional mandate, or God gave it to us, um, of dealing with some things regionally then. So spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 6, if you read about that, your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly realms, you know, all this sort of stuff. Like, that's what we're dealing with here. We deal with people, absolutely, uh, on a one-to-one level. We love people. We love seeing people meet Jesus and get healed and restored. Um, but there's this other mandate that the church corporately is dealing with, which is the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Again, all this sort of stuff, you think, oh, that's just, that's just a bit out there. Um, but then you start encountering stuff and you go, wow, it's, it's really kind of real. Um, yeah. So... Uh, yeah, so as, as for us as a community as well, we're, we're, we're taking on this regional mandate, but we're also pioneering new things. Like we are very much have always been open, like God, whatever you want to do, use us as a community. Whatever you want to build, whatever you want to grow, wherever you want to go, we're going with you, God. And so naturally part of that pioneering and, and taking on new ground, um, there's that newness factor. So then you're encountering things that if you were to stay still, you would not encounter. Yeah, if I stand still right here, that wall is of no danger to me. If I start heading in that direction, at some point I'm going to encounter said wall and it's, I'm going to be confronted by it, okay? So there is something where if you're, I mean, if you're constantly getting harassed by demons, it could be that you've got them in you and you need to deal with them. Um, but there's also that part of like if you're being confronted with them, sometimes it's because you're pressing into new things and you're being confronted by them. And I don't like it. I don't like, I don't understand theologically how a principality or power or spirit can make me sick. I don't like it, and I'm, I'm, and I'm sick and tired of it. Um, so I'm not going to stand for it. 
but it's a reality, and so I'm facing it. And I'm not like, I'm not kind of one that's like, oh, I've got a cough, oh, it must be a spirit come to oppress me. Um, I just think, no, no, I've probably had a few too many late nights and haven't been eating enough vegetables, like that can be part of it too. But there are those times where it's like, this doesn't make any sense, all of these things are happening, I think there's something coming against me. And if we don't recognize and discern what is what, then we can unintentionally come into agreement with it. So as we're breaking new ground in the spirit, it requires a new wineskin for the new wine to be poured out. Okay, so this is something that we're all on about. It's like, God, shape us however you want us to be. A significant word that we got in 2011 was from Bob Hazlett, but he talked about, one of the words that he said was, I'm going to give you a way of doing church that no one's ever seen before. And you just think, oh, cool, and you think, what the, like, that's kind of scary, because you're like, well, what does that look like? Because no one's ever seen it before. But it just means that we've had to stay in a place that we're open to whatever God wants to do. Just yield it to His plans and His purposes and His ways and His newness. But that means doing new things. It's not contradicting old things or doing unrighteous things, but doing things that maybe we have never done before. Which bit? Yeah, so it's not, it's not that we're um, going against what has been done. Uh, there's nothing in wanting to be uh, unique or like cool and different in some sort of rebellious way. Like, um, I, like I'm okay with comfort. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of okay. I think we're all, uh, some of us maybe not, but like I'm okay with things being the same. I'm okay with not confronting demonic forces in the region. Like, I'm just okay with that. If that wasn't the mandate that God gave to us, if that wasn't the commission, then I'll be like, I'm, I'm cool with that, God. Like, just use us in, in every other way. We can be like support. We can be like the medics. Let's, we can do the catering for the army that are out there on the front lines. But God said, no, no, sorry, but you yielded. You said yes, so I'm sending you out to the front lines. So that's just the way that it is. Um, so... Uh, we will naturally then encounter demonic forces that want to um, prevent the expansion and the impact of God's kingdom in the region. So as, as you say, God's, God's like, hey, I want you guys to step in and focus on this. And we say, yes, Lord. And we step in and focus on that. There is an opposition that naturally comes to that. And says, well, no, we don't want you to do that. We don't want you to step into that. We want you to say exactly where you are because that's predictable and normal and safe for the kingdom of darkness. Are you okay? I hope you're okay with like super spiritual things because I just want to break it to you. God is super spiritual. <laughs> he is hyper spiritual. He's about as spiritual as you get. Yeah, so we're not talking about things that are foreign to God at least. They're foreign to us because we live, you know, consumed constantly by our five senses in that kind of way. But I want you to know God's pretty spiritual. He even has a Holy Spirit that He puts inside of you, that speaks to you. Yeah? So, I, I, so I'm, I'm cool with you being uncomfortable. That's all I'm saying. Um, all right. So uh, we feel like we've been coming up against this kind of religious spirit. And so as we are progressing forward as a community, there's this next thing that we're kind of coming up against. So what is a religious spirit? Well, let me tell you, it is a demon power that uses religious structures to entangle people in bondage, to prevent transformation, 
and to enforce the religious status quo. It wants to entangle people in bondage, so the, it wants to entangle people in the bondage of religion, because religion naturally brings about condemnation. It wants to prevent transformation. Again, because staying in the same place, not moving, not growing, stops me then from stepping into transformation, being transformed into his likeness, into a greater measure of freedom. So it uses fear. And it wants to enforce the religious status quo. It just wants to keep everything the same. Okay? The prophetic gifting in the church is designed, particularly the prophetic um, function of the fivefold ministry is to always challenge the status quo. That's the natural way that the prophetic works. And it's often why the prophetic and the pastoral kind of don't get along sometimes. Because, um, yeah, <coughs> high fives all around. Um, because the, 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 the shepherd's function is, you know, caring for the sheep, keeping everyone safe in that way. And, and the prophet's function is like, but we're going over here. But it's like, but how am I going to keep all of these sheep safe in a new land? I don't know that land. I don't know where the rocky outcrops are. I don't know how many wolves are in the region. I don't know all of those things. And yet you're wanting to lead us into this place of, of danger. And yet it's the safest places where God's going. But there's this that healthy kind of wrestle and contention there. But it's just the role of the prophet constantly. It's like, when you feel like you've arrived, it's like, oh, we've made it. And the prophet's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> no. Um, that's it. So a religious spirit fights revelation. It defies prophetic insight. It hates apostolic authority. And it uses tradition to build structures of limitation. So the religious spirit fights revelation, defies prophetic insight, hates apostolic authority, and uses tradition to build structures of limitation. So it's again, when you've got that prophetic sight, you can see something, but then that apostolic anointing is what um, empowers and structures that new move. It's like that, that spiritual logistics arm of what goes on. So you can say, hey, we're going to move house from this place to this place. Great idea. How are we going to do that? Okay, so we need like a trail, we need some people to help, we're going to move this, we need a trolley for these sorts of things, like there's part of that, and there's weight and strength and power that comes in the apostolic part of it as well. So you understand the religious spirit hates the prophetic, and it hates the apostolic. So God's nature never changes. Who God is, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So His nature never changes, but you better believe that He is always doing a new thing. You cannot predict what God is going to do in the future. I mean, you can hear prophetically what he's going to be. You can't say, oh, no, he only does this. Now, he's not going to do something that contradicts his nature, but sometimes even what we put on, oh, well, that looks like his nature, is actually it's not because we don't actually fully know who he is in his fullness. So the religious spirit attempts to prevent what God is doing by entangling his people in religious structures and paradigms. So a paradigm is an unconscious way of thinking. It's like an automated way of responding. In other words, like a stronghold. It's, it's kind of like something happens and I just automatically respond. I automatically think in a particular way. That's a paradigm, a worldview. Okay, but it will entangle people in those sorts of things. It's preventing the movement of God. It's preventing the expansion of what God wants to do. So demonic entities can impact people through oppression and possession. So you can be oppressed by a demon. You can be possessed by a demon. If you're a Christian, you can have a demon in you. You might disagree theologically, but I have seen people who love Jesus and are filled with demons, and they go, and the demons aren't there anymore. 
So it's okay. If you've got demons, you're welcome here. We welcome all sorts of demons in, and then, but then we're going to let them go pretty soon. So... So demonic entities can impact people, but principalities and powers control the airwaves and they influence the thought life of people. So this is my understanding because it's like, well, how does this, there's this spiritual demonic entity in the region, how, well, how is that impacting people? Well, I think primarily it impacts the way that people think. And that's why you can go into particular areas and it's almost like all the people think the same way. They all kind of act the same way. There's this dominance of, of agreement in what goes on there. But these principles, they, they will impact the way that people think about life, think about the world, think about God. Ephesians 6.12, as I said before, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Right, so clearly outlined by Paul in Ephesians 6.12 that the battle that we're, we're fighting as a church is not against people. Now, people make decisions in government. People make decisions every day in their life. That's, they're being influenced. It's not just them, but they're also being influenced by spiritual forces. Now, again, if there's spiritual strongholds in a region, you can have as many conversations as you want. You can do as many crusades and have as, do as, as much evangelism as you want. And people are bound because they're in agreement with these principalities and powers and you're not going to get breakthrough. So that's why I say here, you know what? Hey, if we take on that mandate and we'll, we deal with the territorial spirits and all this sort of stuff, and then every other church grows because all of a sudden people can now hear the gospel. They can respond to the call of God on their life because they're not bound by whatever religious entity is over that area. Speaking of new wineskins, Mark 2.22 says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. And the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So we understand this idea of God pouring out a new thing requires a new structure. In order to hold the wine, the new wine, you've got to have a new wineskin. And that, that can look, that can go in lots of different ways. It can be structurally how you set yourself up, the mindset of, of what you carry, the, the, what you value, all of those sorts of things come into this, this place of holding the wine. But if you want to go, oh God, you're releasing new wine, then you better be prepared to become shaped differently. Because God, it's very easy for God to pour out new wine. It's a lot harder to become a new wineskin. You know, if I, I think about it, it's like forming a, a glass. If you have a glass of water, and the water's the Holy Spirit, and the glass is you, it takes a lot more heat and, uh, and, and time and energy to produce the glass than it does to fill it with water. So God's desire is for the, to pour out the new wine, but God knows if I pour out my new wine on this old wineskin, the wine will be destroyed, and so will the wineskin. The very promises and blessing and anointing of God can be the very thing that destroys you. That's who God is. God is big. God is powerful. He is the creator of all things. He's big. He's not your homeboy. He's not like your buddy who helps you out sometimes. He's not your, you know, kind of magical jackpot machine. You're, I'm gonna, I'll pull the lever and hope that, you know, I get three cherries. Like, he's God. 
He's worthy. We've been talking this week about the fear of the Lord. Like he's worthy to be feared. Even Jesus says, you know, fear the one who can throw, who can throw your soul into hell. That's the, that's the one you should be concerned about. Now, because we are in Christ and we've been born again by the Spirit, we don't have to fear the Lord in the way that he is going to condemn us and punish us. But he doesn't change. So the God who will send the sinner to hell is the same God who will, who will bring you into his eternal delight. Same God, same high desire and, and command of righteousness and holiness and purity. So the religious spirit partners with people who have a religious heart paradigm. They are prone to being manipulated by this spirit and therefore can be used to fulfill its purposes. So if you have a framework in your heart that is prone to religiosity, then this spirit can use you, not with your awareness or intent, but can use you to fulfill its purposes. A religious spirit and a religious heart disables our ability to obey the voice of God. It encourages, to, encourages us to focus on what God said, which is good. What he said is good. But it's not what he's saying. New wine doesn't get released when the religious spirit is preventing the new wineskin from being formed. So you understand, if I have a religious heart power, I want to stick to what is old, what is stable, what is comfortable. And I can't obey to step into that new thing because I'm so stuck on the old thing. I've been in, you know, in church environments, it's like, oh, I just want to get back to the good old days. But if you did all of the things that you did back then in this new season, none of them would work. We know that agriculturally, like if you, if you go to plant a particular plant in a particular season, in one season it's, it'll thrive, and the next season it won't even sprout up. There's a reason why I'm wearing shorts today, because it's stinking hot outside. God bless you people who wear jeans all year round. I don't know how you do it. And this is where it gets a bit tricky, you see, because um, sometimes what a religious spirit presents or what someone with a religious kind of heart presents is not evil. It doesn't come across as being evil or wrong. It actually could be interpreted as, oh, that's a, that's a good idea. That's a good concept. Like, yeah, that's, that's good. But its, it's intent is evil. So it's not evil and corrupt in its request, but it's evil and corrupt in its intent. So this is like when Jesus was tested by Satan in the wilderness. So the Holy Spirit leads him out into the wilderness. So he's carpenter, 30 years, gets baptized in water for repentance, gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. First thing the Holy Spirit does, sends him out to the wilderness. So Jesus didn't draw him out. The Holy Spirit sent him out to be tested in the wilderness. And Satan comes at the end of that 40 days and starts to challenge him. And some of the things that he says, he, he challenged him with, with truthful things. He's like, throw yourself off this building, the angels will catch you. Because the word, the scriptures say that you do this and God will protect you. So the, the devil was speaking truth to Jesus. But his intent 
was to manipulate and control him, even by using the scriptures. So you could see someone who, who knows their Bible back to front and all this sort of stuff. You can use religion, you can use even the, the word of God itself to manipulate and control people. Jesus was a Jew. The Jews were God's chosen people. And guess who killed the Messiah? The chosen people of God. And do you know why? Because Jesus challenged their religious heart. The religious spirit wants us to be stuck in the previous season. So doing what we did back then, but God is moving us into a new season. As I said before, you can't do what you did in the previous season in the new season. And the prophetic spirit shuts down prophetic revelation, even regarding times and seasons. Daniel 2, 21 and 22, it says, God changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. God works in seasons. It's not coincidental even that in nature we see how seasons work. So many things that God reveals in the natural is a picture of what, how things are in the spiritual. Because they're created, everything's created according to his order and his nature. So they're a reflection in the same way that we are made in the image of God. But if we're not discerning the times and seasons, and if we're not behaving according to the times and seasons, then we'll get left behind in what God's wanting to do. Now, again, I don't think God, we, we can miss it, and I don't think God's like, oh, we'll stuff you a lot, I'll get someone else. You know, like, he's, he's gracious, but it's like, we are the ones then that are slowing down the advancement of the kingdom. I, I would hate for that to be me. So religion, religion essentially is a way of controlling people. And we know control, another word for like a controlling spirit is witchcraft. Which isn't about people with pointy hats and long warty noses and cauldrons. Like it's the spirit of witchcraft, the spirit of control that wants to dominate people. So Galatians 3, starting verse 1, it says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So I understand that Paul's writing to the Galatians, he's like, someone has bewitched you. Someone has corrupted your way of thinking. And talking specifically in this thing of being sanctified by, by God, it's like, oh yeah, so we, we were made right with you by the Holy Spirit, but now we need to go back to the ways of the law and this religious structure and framework to become perfected. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you start by the Holy Spirit and you finish by the Holy Spirit. You hear us talk a lot about prayer ministry, and we've got prayer ministry training coming up, and Amy oversees that, and she is, has a primarily a, a, a shepherding gift, but everything that happens in prayer ministry, the intent of prayer ministry is people's sanctification, everything that happens is Holy Spirit. 
is directed by the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's repentance and renouncing. It's, it's a completely spiritual thing, supernatural prophetic thing that goes on in that, in that place. So we're not saying, oh, well, thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, but we've got prayer ministry now that we can just kind of counsel people through. It's not counseling. It's sit down, a couple of people. We're all going to wait on Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's going to lead this time. He's going to direct it to this. And then you're going to take responsibility for your sin in that time. But it's still, it's the Holy Spirit that is going to forgive that sin. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to cast out the demons. Like it's, it's all Holy Spirit. So even though we might have tools and, and, and ways of kind of equipping and journeying people through that, it's like, it's all Jesus. It'll only ever be Jesus that's doing the work. Jesus was crucified because he upset the religious leaders of the day. It was the intent of the demonic to destroy the Messiah. And religion was used to fulfill the enemy's plans. And the fact is, the religious leaders thought that what they were doing was righteous. Paul, Apostle Paul himself, when he was going around killing Christians, he thought, I am, I'm doing what is right for God. But so they were so bound by this religious paradigm in themselves, in their culture, and you would expect them demonically inspired and influenced, that they literally missed the very one that they were longing for. They were hanging out for the Messiah, and then he's before them, and their religious mindset, their, the religious spirit, blinded them to see, and they killed the Messiah. Religion misses the healing of the withered hand and focuses on the day the healing happened. So even as Jesus went around doing miraculous works, how did the religious leaders of his day respond? We can't do that on the Sabbath. Don't you know what day it is, Jesus? How dare you heal some guys with a withered hand? They were so intent, they actually missed the authority of God that was on Jesus. They missed the, the radical transformation of one of their people getting healed and restored. And all they could see is the day that he was doing it was wrong according to the law. Matthew 12, 9 says, Then Jesus left them and went into the synagogue where he encountered a man with an atrophied, paralyzed hand. The fault-finding Pharisees asked Jesus, Is it permissible to perform a work of healing on the Sabbath when no one is supposed to work? They only asked him this question because they hoped to accuse him of breaking the Jewish laws. So they actually didn't even care. They didn't even care about what his answer was. They're like, this is the way that we're going to trick him. This is the way that we're going to catch him. Do you see the intent of their heart was evil? They didn't want to know. Oh, we didn't know this. We just thought that, you know, according to the law, you couldn't do that. But, but Jesus, tell us, like, is this an okay thing that we can do? They're not interested in that. Like, this is a way that we'll catch him out. The intent of their heart was evil. They only asked him this to, to, to try and get him to break the law. He answered them, if any of you had a lamb that fell into a ditch on the Sabbath, wouldn't you reach out your hand and lift it out? Isn't a man much more valuable than a lamb? So, of course, it's always proper to do miracles, even on the Sabbath. Then he turned to the man and said, hold out your hand. And he stretched it out. It was restored exactly like the other. So again, was the question that they're asking particularly wrong? No, it's a good question to ask. Because the law said, 
don't do any work on the Sabbath, and yet Jesus seemingly is performing miracles on the Sabbath. But was the intent of their heart wrong? Absolutely. And this is what happens when we, if we are operating in this kind of religious framework, we think we're being righteous because what we're thinking is, oh, this, this is a righteous thing. I've got a righteous standard that I'm standing up for, but the intent of the heart isn't pure. The Pharisees, they knew the Scriptures back to front. If you were, as, as, a, as a young Jewish child, by the age of 12... Yes, by the age of 12, you had memorized what's called the Pentateuch, so the first five books of the Bible, as a child. So it was very normal for you to know lots of Scripture in that culture. And the Pharisees, then they devoted themselves to understanding the Scriptures. This is John 5, 39. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They were so diligent in following the law that they missed the lawgiver. They missed the God of the law because they were so tied up in, this, in, in, in following these kind of rules and regulations. They actually missed Jesus. He was standing right before them. And this kind of religious framework, it happens oftentimes for us as children. And, and this is something that, you know, I mean, a, a little thing, like, so Felicia and I, what we try not to do, we try not to praise our, our children with, um, or, or discipline them with moral words. So we, we try not, if they do something that's a positive thing, we, we, we try not to say, good boy or good girl. We, we use this like, well done. Because what happens is, in childhood, when we, some of that language that happens is that we we start to form that our morality is tied to our behavior. So how good I am is determined by how well I behave. And yet that's not the case. Our morality is not tied to our behavior. So if then a child does the wrong thing, we say, oh, bad boy. Don't do that. All of a sudden, oh my gosh, I did the wrong thing. Now I am a bad person. So what that happens is, what happens, no one likes to be considered a bad person. Well, I want to be a good boy. I want to be a good girl. I want to be a good person. But that can be how simple it is that we start to develop this kind of framework and way of thinking. We, and then we start to kind of live that out in our life and then it naturally comes into our relationship with God. Well, I did, I, 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 I prayed this morning, yes. I did, I did 15 minutes of Bible reading, probably could have been 20, but I got distracted, so I did, I did that. Um, I haven't sinned. Yeah, I was, I challenged work and I didn't lie about that, so like, Get to the end of the day, I think I was a good Christian today. I think, yeah, I think God would be pleased. I feel like I can go and pray because God would be pleased with me. Now, um, yeah, it's called performance orientation, but we bring that to God. Because the funny thing is, is like, it's almost the heart of foolishness to think that we can fool God. But I, I did this and I did this. Oh, cool. I feel like God will be happy with me today because I performed all of my religious duties that I feel he would go, oh, yes, good, good boy. You can come into my presence and receive, you know, goodness from me and love and cuddles. But you wake up, it's like, oh, oh I forgot to pray and I didn't, I, I didn't really feel like reading my Bible and I was challenged and I lied at work and I get to the end of the day, I'm like, there's no way I'm, I can come before God's presence today. I can't pray today. I've been a bad boy. 
haven't done any of the things that I'm supposed to, that a good Christian's supposed to do. So now God's going to be upset with me. And I can't come before his presence to receive, you know, comfort and love and, and goodness because he's, he's clearly is going to be mad at me now because I've done, because I've been a bad boy. And yet Hebrews says, <laughs> come boldly before the throne of God to receive grace and mercy in your time of need. It's actually the opposite way that it works. Now, again, we can abuse this and we can be, oh, so it doesn't, oh, so what you're saying, it doesn't really matter what I do because God's just always open for me to come in. It's like, well, no, because that's not love. But God is not one, God doesn't determine your morality based on your behavior. He determines your morality based on the finished work of Christ, which is righteous and holy. And we want you to live out of that place. But what happens in, in religion, we understand external behavior modification, and hopefully that will change my internal life. But the way of the kingdom is internal transformation leads to external transformation. So oftentimes people grow up in a strict religious environment and they end up rebelling to that framework. So they go, well, I don't, I've been stuck in this religious environment, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna break free from all of that and oh, now I'm free in this place. But they go to the other end of the spectrum, which is rebellion. So then they rebel against the things of God. They rebel against the ways of God. They rebel against the, the good, healthy frameworks of the kingdom. And it looks like freedom, but the reality is rebellion is as much a bondage as what religion is. Because in religion, I'm bound to have to obey the rules. But in rebellion, I'm bound to not obey the rules. And there's a fear. But if I, if I do something that's right, or if I do something that someone's suggesting to me, I'm going to come under control and manipulation. I'm going to be sucked in. So I'm going to just say no to every good thing and yes to every bad thing. But it's just a, a different form of bondage. So if, you've, if I grew up in a super religious environment, I was in this religious church. Now I'm just like free. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to obey anything because I'm going to come under their control. And yet you just come under a different spirit spirit of rebellion so it's finding that place that healthy right place in the middle in the love and the freedom and obedience of God so religion can look like freedom but it's another form of bondage and essentially religion is a form of self-righteousness so where I become the one that determines what is right and what is wrong I set the moral framework for my life and then for your life too. Because religion always kind of projects itself onto other people. It's not like, hey, you know, I just have a framework for my life and I choose to do these things and, 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 and you don't, but oh, be free to do that. It's like, no, no, I'm religious and you need to be as well. You need to be just as religious as I am. Because I think the reality is we all have, we all have a moral framework of where, where we feel like, actually, that's a line that I won't cross. Actually, I, kinda, I won't watch those sorts of shows or I just choose not to listen to that kind of music. And, or maybe you go, I, you know, I just choose, I choose not to drink alcohol or do something. But you're not putting this kind of religious thing in, and nobody must. And if you're in my presence, how dare you even speak of such things? You know, so you can, it's okay to have a, a framework that says, from, I know what my heart can handle. I know what, what Holy Spirit in me, um, you know, gels with and doesn't gel with and I'm not putting that on people but that religious kind of framework projects onto others and causes them to try and step into the same thing so hopefully we know that we are righteous because we are in Christ it is his righteousness that makes us righteous 
the theological concept is called imputed righteousness. Your unrighteousness was taken on him and his, unright- his righteousness was given to you. So you have been made righteous in Christ. You cannot be more righteous before God than you are right now. You can't be. You are positionally righteous before the Father. But you are progressively being sanctified. So in your spirit where you've been born again by the Spirit of God, you are righteous in Christ. But you are being transformed into His likeness. It's manifesting itself out in your heart, in your mind, and through your life. I love what Chris Valadin says. You know, if you believe you're a sinner, then you'll sin as an act of faith. So if you believe, no, no, I am a sinner, that's why I do bad things. No, you do bad things because you think you're a sinner. But if you knew, I'm a righteous person, so why am I doing unrighteous things? That is conflicting with my very nature. I've got to deal with that stuff. I've got to stop doing that. Because that's not me anymore, because Jesus made me righteous. So why am I still walking in these old ways? Paul says, consider yourselves... Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. That wasn't like a poignant pause. That was me trying to remember the scripture. That's what I was, yes. Uh, it happens sometimes. All right, so this is, uh, I found this in a, um, no, um, you know, that thing that talks about the Bible and, Wow. No, it's not a concordance. Um, Commentary. Yeah. Go Bible college students. So the generic meaning of sanctification is the state of proper functioning. So you're being sanctified as you're coming into a proper state of functioning. That's cool, hey? So to sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart, not just to set them apart. So sanctification, holiness is a similar word. It's not just to set them apart so I'm different. It's to set it apart for its intended use by its designer. So a pen is sanctified when used to write. You know, glasses are sanctified when they're used to improve sight. Not to like burn ants or do other things like that's not what they're designed for. So in the theological sense, things are sanctified when they are used for the purpose God intends. A human being is sanctified, therefore, when he or she lives according to God's design and purpose. That's what it means to pursue righteousness. So, okay, but if I'm already righteous, how can I pursue it? Well, that's because you're pursuing the outworking of the finished work of Christ in your life. That's what prayer ministry is. So, but Jesus done it all. He's done it all on the cross. So why would I go and deal with my stuff? Because you're outworking that finished work. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So saying, work it out because I'm working in you to work it out. And it's the delight of God to do that. It's not because we well, need to hurry up and get more righteous because I can't stand being around you. He's like, no, no, I've, I've done it but now we're we're gonna bring it out. I've planted the seed, now we want the flower to grow and bloom. So the Greek word translated sanctification is hagiasmos, which means holiness. So to sanctify, therefore, is to make something holy. 
So God justifies us, but he also sanctifies us and ultimately will glorify us. Amen? So as we said before, this religious kind of heart framework leads to performance orientation. So I learn the rules so that I can stay within the boundary lines to avoid punishment or rejection. I know what to do to be a good boy and to receive the praise from my father. If I do all these right things, then yes, I get the praise. Because I don't actually know that I'm loved, regardless of whether I do or don't do. I'm not secure in, in love. So I have to perform in order to receive love and therefore in order to feel love. The problem is this is a form of manipulation and control, which is the very heart of witchcraft. I'm just trying to please God. If you don't know that he's already pleased with you and you're pleasing him in order to receive that, you're trying to manipulate God. And I just want to break it to you. He's not very good at being manipulated. It's very hard. I know he is the lamb that was slain, but it's very hard to pull the wool over his eyes. Uh, In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, so in the book of Matthew, and Jesus goes through a lot of the 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 laws the Jewish laws and he says you know I know the law says this but I say this okay so I know the law says you know don't don't murder but I say even if you have hatred in your heart you're as good as as having murdered someone so Jesus takes it's like you all know how to live by the rules but the kingdom calls you to live from the heart that's what Jesus is interested in because he knows that out of that place everything truly flows that's the true intent that's where your worship comes from you could spend every day here with your arms raised singing out voices of praise but God's interested in your heart the Bible even says you know like people that they praise me with their lips but their hearts are far from me so again it doesn't matter how fantastic and the room fills up with worship every Sunday like it's if, if hearts are far from him it's like what's the point it's just a big performance that God looks at and goes, I want your hearts. Yeah. It doesn't impress God. You could have 10,000 people in a stadium all singing out praises to God, and yet if their hearts are far from Him, it's like, and it's even worse because then people are blinded to the fact that their heart's completely disconnected and gone, and that's the one thing that God longs for most. So in a culture of freedom, which the kingdom of God is, we must find new ways to motivate ourselves to do what is right. So in a religious context, we stay within the boundaries because the fear um, of consequence or the punishment of stepping outside the boundary lines. So we say, well, I'm going to do what is right because I fear doing what is wrong. I'm not going to step outside of the lines in relationship. I'm going to learn, how do I do? In this context, how do I behave right? Oh, everyone's standing up. I'll stand up. All right. Well, they're lifting their hands. Okay, I don't know what they're doing that for, but like I'll do that. And then, okay. And then, you know, like we we learn all of those. Oh, they hug a lot. Okay, a bit of hug. I don't like hugging, but I'll bit of hug, you know. Um, Doing all those things because it's like, because I just want people to like accept me and to love me. 
Or people come in and it's like, I gotta find out where I fit. If I, if I can somehow get a leadership role, then people will think I'm, I'm good and they'll look up to me and I'll feel safe and secure because people look to me you know, to have their needs met or to do something. It's like we're, we're finding ways to, to feel love, but it's, it's all this kind of performance-oriented thing. We learn the rules to avoid the punishment or the consequence of stepping outside of the lines. We avoid the new because we don't know how to navigate a place that we haven't been before. That's why if you have a religious heart to step into something new, it's like, I've never been there. How do I, how do I operate in that place? You're gonna go to a new place? I just learned this place. Hey, you wanna go to a new place? How am I gonna feel safe and secure in that place? So this thing, you know, obedience in the kingdom, obedience is tied to love. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. And now see, again, a religious mind would say, well, I better obey his commands to show him that I love him. No, that's backwards. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Out of a, the overflow of a heart of love, you'll do the things that, that I long for you to do. But so easily we get, I haven't obeyed his commands, I haven't showed him that I loved him today. And Again, no, that, that motivation needs to shift because we've come out of that religious context and we've come into the freedom of the kingdom. And the danger is that people go, oh, well, I don't need to do anything. No, you still need to obey. Jesus didn't say, oh, well, in, you know, in the, under the law it says this, but I say this. He still had a command. He still had an expectation on your life to pursue holiness and to be righteous and to not murder people. He fulfilled the law, absolutely. So we are not under the requirement of the law in that kind of way, but he absolutely commands us to do things. And the command becomes a compulsion when we love him. So when I love God, I'm like, I'm compelled to do what he desires me to do because I love him. But I'm not under this condemnation, this weight that I must do something. I'm free to not, but I desire so I will. That's what freedom looks like. See, again, we think that rebellion looks, looks like freedom because oh, I'm not under that structure. But you're just under a different structure. Whereas in freedom, I, can, I have a yes and I have a no and I can choose my yes. So God says, can you do this? And I can say yes out of complete freedom because I know I can say no to God. Do you know that you can say no to God? Might not go well for you, but I'm just saying... You can say no to God. You have the freedom and the power. You are not, um, you know, and, and God's not gonna punish you if you don't. You might receive the natural discipline of, of disobedience because he disciplines those that he loves and it's really good for you to obey God. Like it's, it's his best intent for you. If he says, go over here, that's the best possible thing that you could do is go over there. It's the safest place, yeah. Might be the craziest place, but it's safe. So uh, in the Greek, and this is what Jesus calls the Pharisees, we've got this word hypocrisis, where we get the word hypocrisy from. And now this word means it's a play actor, or one who wears a mask. So this is when we have that external kind of thing going on, but internally it's very, very different. Hypocrisy avoids the heart. And that's why, like, if, if someone, if you come to this community and you're super religious, it's just, it's going to be really difficult for you. So your options are you can leave or you can deal with your heart. And we'd much prefer you deal with your heart because then you're going to be free. 
but you're also welcome to leave. Because we're not bound by a religious spirit. We're not bound by people-pleasing. I don't care if people don't like what God is calling us to do. I just had to let go of that. Because as soon as you say yes to God, you're going to say no to a whole lot of people who want you to do their thing, who want you to do what makes them feel safe or them feel loved, or them feel considered. Now, we love people. I hope you also understand, we really love people here. Like, we spend a whole lot of time and energy loving, trying to love people to the best of God's ability in us. But we love God way more. So we were like, oh, we will do our best to meet people's needs here as a community, collectively. But we're gonna prioritize His needs. So that's just kind of the way that it goes here. Spiritual disciplines can be used to make someone feel righteous. So I set a limit of what is righteous, I meet that mark and I feel good about my walk with God. But it doesn't mean that we're doing any of those things from a pure heart. But on the same side, it's like, well, it doesn't mean that I don't do those things well, I don't feel like doing it, so I just won't do it. No, spiritual disciplines, things like prayer and, and reading your Bible and worshiping together as a community, serving people, loving people, they're all good things. They don't make you righteous. But what they might do is reveal the unrighteousness in your heart. Sometimes doing what you don't want to do reveals the fact that you don't want to do it. And that's really good, because then you get to deal with your want to. Why are you doing that? I don't want to do that. Well, I, I, so I'm not just going to go and do it and go, I'll just do it anyway and get all bitter and twisted about it. It's like, why don't I want to? So it's like you come, if you came along on a Sunday and like, I, I don't want to worship Jesus, then your choices are don't or deal with your want to. So I, I, I just don't feel like worshiping this morning, so I'm just going to sit down and just look around and play on my phone. And that's one way to do it. It's avoidance, it's denial, it's a whole lot of stuff. Or you can go, I don't want to worship, why don't I want to worship you this morning, Jesus? Because I know that the truth is that you are worthy of my worship. You are always worthy of worship, but something in me says I don't want to do it. So God, show me what's going on in my heart, because I want to be someone who wants to worship you. I, I suck at like prayer times, like on my own. I just suck at it. Hate to break it to you. Hope I'm not being too vulnerable and going to throw you into a, into a downward spiral of, oh my gosh, you know. But like, it's just, it's just not in my nature to sit for long periods of time in that kind of way. But I want to. I want to be the kind of person, it's like, you've got to drag me out of that prayer closet. You've got to drag me out of the presence of God. It's like, I'm sorry, I can't do anything else because I just want to be with Jesus. That's my want to. So I'm then constantly in that confliction of like, God, change my want to. I want to be that kind of person. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay to say to you that there's just areas of my journey with Jesus that I think I suck at. But I, at least I'm honest. At least I, like I know. I'm not fooled. I'm not going, oh, well, I'm just a different kind of personality and this is how I do my walk with Jesus and blah, blah, blah. It's like, No. So just live in that place. Live in the discomfort of that. 
But again, if we're tied up into this religious thing, well, I've, got to, I've either got to do it or try or figure out some way to quell that internal kind of thing that's going on in me. They're saying, you should, you should do this. This is the right thing for you to do, but I don't want to. And, I, you know, like getting bound in that kind of place where I'm like, you know what, Jesus, you know my heart. I love you, but I want to love on you in a new way. So we've got like, I was at Ikea and I bought a prayer cushion and we've got under our stairs is our, our, our prayer closet and listening to, so there's a guy called Michael Koulianis. Um If anyone listened to a Michael Koulianis podcast, so they're called Jesus Image is their thing in the US. But it's like you listen to this dude and it's just like he is just shotgun between the eyeballs like and things so but like I know I know if I listen to one of these dudes podcasts I'm gonna get convicted so I'm like bring it on Jesus but it's so good because you get stern it's like yes Lord and there's good things for me and it's all good I'm not condemned because I don't but I'll be fulfilled if I do there's more for us so discipline reveals our heart and gives us an opportunity to repent and have our heart changed. Matthew 23, verse 4, speaks of the religious leaders. It says, They tie on your backs an oppressive burden of religious obligations and insist that you carry it, but will never lift a finger to help ease your load. A religious heart will cause us to stand in judgment against something rather than entering in to help change something. A religious heart lives on the problem side, not on the solution side. You find this in the church sometimes. People are always coming up. This is a problem. I've got a problem. This is a problem. You need to fix this problem. I'm like, how about you give me a solution? I don't, I, I've got enough problems. I've got none of them problems, and you're not one of them. No, no. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, but see, see a heart of freedom says solution side. How can I be hard, part of the solution here? Because what you're seeing might be right, but if it's coming with the wrong intent, and you might find this, if you go from place to place and you feel like everything that you suggest no one receives from you, could be because you've got a religious heart and those people that are discerning your religious heart and they don't want to say yes to you, even though what you're saying is right is because they don't want to come into agreement with the spirit that is on you. If you get lots of no's, because people are going... I agree with what you're saying. I just don't agree with what's behind what you're saying. And I certainly don't want to come into agreement with that. Was that too harsh? <laughs> so why do people live under religious frameworks when they've been offered freedom in Jesus? Well, I think it's safer. It's safer for them. If I can control people's opinion of me, I can avoid rejection. If I can determine my own righteousness, I can live more happily in denial and not have to endure the pain of change. Essentially, it's just to avoid the pain. Avoid the pain of the recognition that I don't believe that I'm right on my own as I am. And then to avoid the pain of what that means, if I was to come to a place to recognize I'm not right just as, I'm not right in my heart, my heart's not right. So I need to then do something about it. And that's gonna be painful. So how about I just live in denial 
just turn off all the lights, bury my head in the sand, and hope that everything changes without me doing anything. So what are some of the implications? I think individually, people can have a, a fear of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings truth and freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen? Yeah. The Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. is the Spirit of truth who will lead us into all truth. Religion thrives on bondage and lies. The Holy Spirit wants to bring truth and freedom. So then naturally, it's like you bring Holy Spirit into the equation, like, whoa, because he's going to do whatever he wants to do. If I'm just ruled by, I, don't, I just know my Bible back to front, and I can just keep myself safe, and just, you know, it's kind of sometimes why you tend to find people who are like super religious about the Bible, and they kind of can be a little bit resistant to the Holy Spirit. It's that pendulum kind of swing. Or emotions, or, yep. Yep. So the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And that's what I want. I want Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants. When we gather together, it's like, Holy Spirit, do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want, just do it. And I'd rather deal with the consequences of Holy Spirit doing whatever he wants than to have to deal with the consequence of only doing what I want. There's no freedom. There's no, it shuts down the voice of God. It shuts down one's ability to hear from God because they're only listening to what he said before. They're not listening to what he's saying. And without hearing, you can't obey. You can't do what he says if you're not hearing what he's saying. You can only do what he said. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. And play by the bay. What do you say? As I said before, um, we're not big on people pleasing. We're big on God pleasing. We're doing our best to not allow an environment where a religious spirit can be in a place of influence. We're okay with people not liking us, not agreeing with us, and, not, and leaving if we don't yield to their requests. We're not closed off from receiving wisdom, but it must produce conviction in us to cause a change in what we do. So again, you don't want to be this, oh, we're just going to, as a church, fear that religious spirit of control, so we're going to go over and run to rebellion then, where you don't hear from God. Or to have a leadership, that says, no, no, we just, we're, not going to, we're not interested in hearing from you, we're just going to only do what we feel Holy Spirit's saying to us. That's dangerous. But what, what I often, sometimes people have come to me and they said, hey, I've just got this thought and maybe you want to consider this. What I tend to do, if I don't get an immediate conviction, I, and I've said this to people, so I put it on my radar. So you know what? I don't have a conviction of what you're saying right now that actually is, you know, that I'm doing something wrong, I need to change something. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put that on my radar, okay? And so then what I'm going to do in my life, I'm just going to look for it. Look for the blip in my relationships. Some might say, hey, I just noticed you're a little bit proud, or whatever. I say, wow, okay. I've, you're, you're the only person that said it to me. Um, I haven't had to come up in other relationships, but I'm just going to try, hey, that could be Holy Spirit. So I'm going to put that on my radar, and then I'm going to look in my relationship. Boop, am I picking up 
pride? Is anyone saying anything? Is, am I feeling things here? Is anything changing? Am I aware? Because sometimes we cannot get the immediate conviction, but it's like, they're actually right. I just haven't come to that place of understanding. And then all of a sudden it starts blipping everywhere. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I'm super proud. And then I can go and repent. Or it might actually just be that that person, they're just off. And they just, you know, want to try and control me through their kind of religious things. Because that's what happens is when you say yes to that religious spirit, you come into agreement with it. And then it gives power over you. This is so dangerous in, uh, in church leadership environments where we are so concerned about numbers in a place. The whole premise sometimes can all be about pleasing people, making it comfortable for people. You've been here for over two and a half hours now, and I'm still talking, and I, I, I care about your comfort. That's why we changed the chairs, to make them a little bit more squishy. <laughs> But, but if you're like, if this is your first time, you're like, oh, two and a half hours, I've got better things to do on a Sunday, then go and bless you. Like, it's okay. Like, because I'm not going to go, oh, man, we, we need to change. We need to make it way short. Let's do one hour because that's probably all that people can handle and that's what they'll like and that's what will keep them happy and do that sort of stuff. It's like, no. Like, we want to bless people. We're not, we're not making it long just so we can be, yeah, we're that church that gathers for two and a half, three hours. Yeah, we're so awesome. It's like, no, it's not. We're just, we're just doing what we're doing. But we don't want to create this environment now we're starting to like do what people want us to do to try and keep them. Because I'm just going to come into agreement with everyone's expectation. Well, can you play more of these songs and not, not do so many of those songs? And can we, you know, can you, you know, do this more and speak? Can you use the King James a bit more, Brad? You know, can you just preach from the King James, you know? That's the original text that Jesus gave, you know? Don't you understand? funny but it's not funny <laughs> but it's, it's just keeping that context so it's like no no we're, we're just we're structuring in a culture of kingdom and freedom here that doesn't allow this spirit to to have dominance here but it can still have dominance in our region and we don't want that either because we don't want other communities to come under this kind of religious framework because then they're going to be in bondage and they're our brothers and sisters in christ and it's a spirit that's doing that satan does not want a fresh release of God's anointing. He doesn't want the new wine. He doesn't want the new wineskin. He doesn't want us to have encounters with the glory of God. Satan doesn't want us to live in the fullness that God has purchased for us. Rachel does this amazing teaching on the glory. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want people's hearts transformed. He doesn't want any of those things. But it means that when we stand up, he certainly doesn't want the religious spirit cast out of this region. You better believe that. I'm feeling it. Like, I'm feeling his displeasure right now. But I'm not trying to please the enemy. I'm trying to please the Father. So that's why in obedience, we're like, it's not fun to do those sorts of things. It's not fun to carry the cost of obedience to God for the sake of seeing his kingdom come. But if there's a cost, it's like, well, what other choice do we have but to count the cost of following Jesus? Because Jesus absolutely said there will be a cost for you to follow me. A builder doesn't build a house without first considering how much it's going to cost them. It's not just a slippery slide of ease and beautiful flowers and, you know, lovely prancing in the meadows. It's, it's hard, but it's good. And the alternative is to not follow Jesus. And surely that can't be any better. 
So we're going to pray, and we're going to renounce and break all agreements, entanglements, and alignments with the religious spirit. If you choose to, we're going to repent for religious words, thoughts, and behaviors, and we're going to invite Holy Spirit to tear down our religious heart structures and mindsets, okay? So again, you might be someone like, oh, I, don't, I don't feel religious at all. Praise the Lord. I would hope, I'm not, I'm literally, I'm not looking, I don't think there's, I don't, can't think of anyone in this room who has, okay? So I'm not putting that on anyone that you need to, but you might consider even in a small way, yeah, you know, sometimes I'm kind of prone to, to a bit of that. I'm prone to a bit of like, oh, you're doing the wrong thing, you need to fix what's wrong with you, rather than, hey, I see you're in the wrong place, can I enter in and give you grace and help you out? Or, you know, there might be little things that you pick up, but if, if you're not, please, can you intercede for the region that we would dismantle and remove this religious spirit that will keep every single church and every believer and unbeliever in some form of bondage if it's not dealt with? Amen? All right, go, Rich. I just love, uh, when he was talking, I just kept on hearing, freedom in the Spirit is on you. You have the, the Spirit in you. It's on you if you're not walking in freedom in the Spirit. It's on you. That's your end of the deal. That needs repentance. It needs eyes opened. It's on you. It's not his job to pour out some more for you to sense it. It's on, it's on us. Um, Worship is a lifestyle, but I always feel that he will expose us in the extravagant place of worship. We've taught on praise and worship and how it's this huge flamboyant thing. And it is, and it's not personality type, but the, the power of praise and worship is that we say yes, and it's whatever. So if even in this morning there was a no, this prayer is for you. Because worship will reveal where your heart is at when it comes to religion. When it comes to, it's, it's that place of worship with song and with dancing and emotions and all of that stuff. If it exposes a no, that's a good thing. We get to deal with it. It's why we get to come together and have this time together because it will reveal this is out of my comfort zone. This is not where I like to go. This is all of that stuff. And it's not like you're an idiot. It's like, oh, this reveals where I have a no. I just don't want to bend to whatever the Lord's desire is for my heart. Do you understand? So not to feel condemnation, but to actually exactly like how Brad said, question, why do I not want to? It's a revealing time and we get to position ourselves rightly because of worship. Yeah. And some other sort of, as kind of a word of warning, if you, if you are under the influence of a religious spirit and we um, uh, displace this religious spirit, I just, I just saw like a boulder with a rope tied around it and that ro rope is tied, you know, like in the cartoons, wrapped around your ankle. So that thing's pushed over, it, it might take you with it. So it's probably just good just to be safe to come out of agreement with anything like that. Otherwise you might get dragged over the cliff. Um, so that's... All right, why don't you stand? Maybe I don't want to stand. <laughs> Everyone obey. No, no. Yep. All right. Well, Father, I just thank you for the freedom in this place, Lord. And Father, even, I just feel like there's something of even the reason why you've given this assignment to us is because it's not a, a dominant force in our community, Lord, this religious spirit, this religious heart paradigm, God. And uh, I just thank you, Father, for the, uh, for the wisdom, Holy Spirit, that you have given to us and the ways of setting people free from these religious frameworks, Father. 
So we thank you, God, that there's an anointing here, even as you brought breakthrough for many individuals, Father. Lord, we just pray that breakthrough would become a corporate one for us, Lord. And so we thank you for the authority that comes in breakthrough, Lord. The authority that you've released to us to say, well, you've done it, now you can go and do it. And so, Father, we just thank you, Lord, for that, and we come into agreement with your freedom, Father. And Lord, we choose right now to renounce and break all agreements and entanglements and alignments with the religious spirit in this region, Father. We just command ourselves, we are free from every entanglement, every entanglement, Father, with those, with the messages in the airways, Father. We come out of agreement, Lord, and we break the power of that spirit over us in Jesus' name. We command it to flee out of every person, Lord, out of every, uh, every place, even in this region, Father. We command a dismantling, Lord, of those structures in the airways, Father. A displacement of that spirit. And Father, we choose to repent for all agreements, Lord, for every religious word spoken, Father, every religious thought and every religious behavior that we have engaged in, Lord, that has opened up access for that religious spirit, Lord. We repent in Jesus' name. We repent, Father, for being religious people in any way, God. Father, we repent for being a people of judgment in any way, Father. Where we have looked down on others, Lord, where we have disconnected ourselves, we repent in Jesus' name, Lord. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to tear down within us, Lord, all of those religious structures and ways, Father, those strongholds of thought, Lord. We invite you, Holy Spirit, come and tear down, tear down every religious mindset, Lord. Every religious heart framework be torn down right now in Jesus' name. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, come and restore and build kingdom ways of thinking, Lord. Kingdom ways of behaving, Lord. Kingdom structures in our hearts, Lord. Freedom structures, Father. And Lord, we just speak out over the region, God, and we command a tearing down, Father, of every religious stronghold that exists in this region, Lord, that you would displace them right now in Jesus' name. That every religious spirit would be displaced right now in Jesus' name. We command an ending to your influence. That your authority will be broken right now in Jesus' name. We bring to death, Lord, all that we've repented of and renounced, all that we've come out of agreement with. We bring it to death on the cross right now. And we pray, Jesus, you would take an axe to the root. Wherever it came from, Father, we just invite you into that root, whether it was our upbringings, whether it was churches we've been in. We forgive all who taught us to serve the idol of right, to serve the idol of good and evil and good and bad. And, and we just forgive them. We forgive any churches who just taught us about behavior, behavior, behavior. And we just repent of coming into agreement with um, behavior, behavior, behavior. So we bring all this to death on the cross right now in the name of Jesus and we just choose life. No longer the tree of good and evil, but the tree of life. Good and evil is religion, right and wrong. Good and evil, focus on behavior, that's religion. So Jesus, we choose... Life, 
And Father, I just thank you right now for, for life. I thank you for life to come and replace all those spaces in the name of Jesus, any spiritual space that's just been vacated. We just thank you for life. We thank you for your presence of life and desire to obey you. There are biblical commands on how to, to, that Jesus has invited us to, to do. So Jesus, would you give us the grace to choose you out of freedom? Would you give us the grace to choose you? Thank you for your shalom peace in all these places, Father. We just lift off condemnation, lift off self-condemnation right now in the name of Jesus. And I bind the accuser of the brethren. I bind his whisper for some of you in your ear right now in the name of Jesus. Come out of agreement with him. Come out of agreement with condemnation on your behavior. He's not your friend. He's not your friend. Jesus, we repent for having masks and choosing what people might like and serving that idol. Jesus, would you help us? Would you give us the grace to be our true selves, knowing that our true selves are truly loved? We thank you for life. We thank you for shalom, peace. Father, would you just come lift off shame right now in the name of Jesus? Break the power of shame. Everyone here is righteous. Everyone here can come boldly before the throne of grace. Everyone here is righteous. Everyone here can come boldly before the throne of grace. Everyone here is welcome. Everyone here is loved as you are. Everyone here is allowed to be messy. Everyone here is allowed to not know the future, to not know what they're doing, to not know who you are. You're welcome here. All of you is welcome here. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, we choose uh, to renounce and repent, Father, uh, for ways that we have used uh, religion to control others, to manipulate in order to keep ourselves safe, Father. Lord, to, to keep ourselves safe from rejection. Father, we come out of agreement with those ways, Lord. We lay them down, God. We lay down those ungodly weapons of warfare, Father. Thank you, Lord. And we, are, we invite your Holy Spirit to come and deal with our hearts, Lord. To deal with the, the root systems and structures that would cause us uh, to behave in those ways, Lord. And Father, we thank you for every church in this region, Father. We speak blessing over them, Lord. But Father, where there has been agreement, Father, we ask for it and we just command a breaking of those agreements, Father, with that religious spirit, Lord. Even where people with, in their mind, good intentions, Lord, to do your work, but Father, in their heart, there is brokenness and wounding, Lord. In leaders, Father, that has caused them to behave in ungodly ways, Father. Even though they're attempting to do godly things, that they're doing them in ungodly ways, Father. And that is not the way of your kingdom, Father. So we just invite your Holy Spirit to come and crash in on the hearts of every leader, Lord, of every church in this region, God. Awaken them to your love. Awaken them to your acceptance, God. Awaken them to your holiness and purity, Father, and bring them, Lord, even where pride has them bound up, God, Holy Spirit, that you would bring humility, Lord, to bring them low so they can receive grace, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We just thank you that you love your bride, God, that you want your bride free, God. You want a free bride. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Papa, we just speak it over the children. 
everything that we have known, Lord, we just yield to the news that the children would come into the new. And a lifestyle of pursuing the Spirit and being obedient to the Spirit would raise up a standard in the next generation. They would no longer live by the structures of what have been or what is even feeling safe or comfortable. They would understand both their identity and also their dignity is found in you, Jesus. That they would, it's not like you, you jump from one place in comfort and become completely undignified, but they would give you everything because you've given them dignity. You are their source of dignity. And so, Lord, we just speak it over the next generation that they would walk with fresh air in front of them continually, that there would not be this blanket, this comfort blanket of religion over them, but they would be able to run with the comforter, that they would run with the comforter, that they would run with the comforter. Lord, we speak against this for the next generation, that we would not be clinging to the comfort of religion any longer, but we would run to the comforter, that they would only know Jesus, in every situation, in work and in their marriages and in their, in their families, they would only know, but Jesus is the answer in this moment. Jesus is the answer and there might be a new way. There may be a new tool in this moment and I'm looking for Jesus. So Lord, we just speak a fresh water over these children that they wouldn't be unwiring from the old and coming into the new, but they would just be raised in the fresh water of Jesus, the fresh water of the Spirit. Lord, that we would be diligent with turning our eyes back to you, that we would carve a way for these ones to raise, raise up free, raise up free with you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, if any of you ident have identified this morning, I know we've prayed over it, but um, that you, like, you feel like, you know, actually, I think that's kind of me. Um, we would highly encourage some prayer ministry to get to the root of, of why you would um, be operating in those ways. So please, the best is just to see um, Lindley at the info table and we can take your details or send you to uh, people. We are in the process of raising up prayer ministers, um, but we don't have a lot that are available, but we have access to people even outside of this community that can help you to walk through that. So um, yeah, thank you for your diligence in, in, uh, in journeying with us, and we, we feel like we're, you know, we're all shoulder to the plough in this, so ho I hope no one walks away going, oh, Brad really told us off this morning. Um, well, yeah, but it's like, uh, yeah, but I'm not, you know, our intent isn't to try and make you feel bad, um, but it's just to be obedient, and, and I don't, I just don't want to be under this spiritual attack anymore, so I'm like, yeah. get out of here. Um, I, want, I want my life back, so, um, yeah, bless you. So we just bless you and Lisa. We bless your home. Can you just put your hands on Lisa? We thank you for no backlash in the name of Jesus. We thank you for protection over these children. We thank you for protection over, thanks Rach, just protection over Noah, Micah, Abby. We just thank you that even the structure of this house comes into fullness in the name of Jesus. We thank you that you bind every um, blocking spirit, every spirit of confusion, everything that would contend against them in the name of Jesus. We just thank you for no backlash. We thank you that as we go forward in this community, we recognize the cost of them choosing to say yes to be at the helm. They've chosen to be at that point and for all of us to be charging behind them. So we bless them, we cover them, we thank you that they won't um, receive the, the, the wind, I don't know how shipping works, the headwinds, Lord, we just thank you for complete covering. We thank you for your shalom peace over them. We thank you deep rest over um, Brad and Lisa this afternoon. 
and bless them and bless you as a community. No backlash from this, this call.